This episode's part of a special feature series on New York City and is a co-presentation with the Museum of the City of New York with generous support from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. Find us at yourhometown.org or on your favorite podcast app. The whole concept of like, you know, seeing like Italian food and Mm -hmm. stuff, it was just very bizarre. Uh, Marinara sauce, like red sauce, when they first saw that here, they were freaked out because they were like, what is that? They're like, we've never seen anything so red. And so it's, it's, it was a huge adjustment. And it, that, those sort of like hardworking values, which I think most immigrant families probably have the same story, that gets passed down to us as the children. It's like, I don't think I've ever had a lazy day in my life. Where did you grow up is a question we're all asked a lot. But the answer is never as simple as a place on a map, is it? It's about the kid inside of us and what happened to them there, before we met the world and the world met us. I'm Kevin Burke, and this is Your Hometown. Hi, friends. I'm Priyanka Naik, and I got 99 problems, but a meal ain't one. I live in Manhattan, New York, and I'm a self-taught Indian cook making globally inspired vegan dishes. So what makes me credible in the food space? Well, I'm a Food Network champion, Quibi Dismantled winner. I've traveled to nearly 40 countries globally, and I'm working on my first cookbook. That's my guest, Priyanka Naik making her pitch to the online world to follow her as the do-it-yourself vegan cook and social media star she's become. I found her by chance and was instantly intrigued by her courage, putting herself out there with selfie videos on Twitter, on Instagram, YouTube, even the Today Show. It has to be a tricky art, I thought, especially during a worldwide pandemic when there's no crew around. Just Priyanka doing all the jobs herself. She's the chef, the camera person, the marketer, the personality, having to be her own hype man. But there she is, constantly putting up new content for people to view and comment on, all while writing her very first cookbook, The Modern Tiffin. And I wondered, where does that initiative, that daring, come from? And while she lives in Manhattan now, how did growing up on Staten Island, a different borough of New York City altogether, as the daughter of immigrants, shape her senses, her sense of home in the world, and herself as a personality. I mean, she's Chef Priyanka, someone with a passion for taking the traditional recipes she grew up with and putting her own modern spin on them as a way of teaching us to cook all kinds of things with plants, but also as a kind of one-woman show. When I met up with Priyanka, I immediately sensed her energy and her humor. There are a few surprises in her story, and not all of them are easy. We'll start with the first, mealtime isn't a problem for Priyanka now, but it wasn't always that way. I found this out when I asked her about her family home. It's on the south shore of Staten Island, a place you can still find her a lot, hanging out and creating in her mom's kitchen. And I asked, when she's back there, what does she think of the little girl who grew up in that space? The little girl in that space, I would say is a little bit different than who I am today. Um, And even my mom says this, like when I was little, I actually gave a little bit of trouble eating. Not not pick, pickiness, I just like didn't eat fast and I really didn't eat, even though I was so chubby. So we're like, still, we still wondered like, where did I get so much chubbiness from, from not eating? I would just sit at the dinner table with a mouthful of food and just sit there and like not chew it, not swallow it. It was a lot of, uh, you know, open the garage like a Mercedes is coming in. I really liked cars, so we did a lot of open the garage. Yeah. I don't know how many times the garage opened, but... Like, it, must like, been, it must have been so vexing for your parents, especially your mom, because as a parent, you feel it's one of your most important responsibilities just to make sure that your child's fed. Especially when you have a family who's very focused on food and we're very kind of like we had sophisticated palates in terms of what we ate and my sisters love to eat. And it's just weird now that I I am obsessed with cooking, obviously. And I think it's more the process than the actual eating that I enjoy. And don't get me wrong, I love eating. Mm-hmm. But even now, like my family makes fun of me because they say, um, if we say something in Canada like, which like you eat like a bird. My my portions are small, but yes. I it's I think I just like the process of like doing things and observing and uh, kind of creating something rather than the actual consumption part. Which well, let me, I find let me try something out on you. Is it fair to say that you 
first fell in love with food with your eyes? Totally. I mean, I think food is a total visual experience. I I think it's first and foremost always visual. So if it's not appealing, I mean, I don't know why you would want to eat it. And as a child, thinking about seeing your kitchen through your eyes as a kid, what was delightful and beautiful to you? I think the delightful, beautiful thing about the kitchen and cooking is and I'm sure other Indian people will say this, are the spices. It's just so fun to touch and smell. And then cooking is like your blank canvas. You can use all those different spices at your disposal to create something new every time. Um, and I think that's just awesome. And what about the, the uh, what was ugly or repulsive to you when you think about oh, um I mean, the cleaning, the cleaning <laughs> sucks. And everyone teases me that I am a messy chef. I just, I don't, um, like if I'm on TV, I'm a organized chef. If I am in my own home, I am quite a messy chef. Um, I think another ugly part for me, which I try to do a lot to help kind of educate people on and, and provide different ways to use food is food wastage. I actually became cognizant of it because of my parents. My mom never let us leave the, the dining table without finishing every piece of food on our plate, which is probably why I sat there for hours since I ate yeah. so slow. And my mom was very strict about that because um, there was they were very strict about food wastage in India. Like you, it's very disrespectful to take something in your plate and throw it out just from just for the f sheer fact of wasting food but to the person who cooked it but also economically you know my parents came to this country obviously worked their butts off like so many other people in this country they didn't come here to raise a family to then waste that money so if it's on your plate then you finish it. Ingredient orange dreamsicle sorbet that's vegan and of your dreamsicles. And yeah, I match it. And yeah, I started off with a different outfit. Okay, we're gonna stop juggling our oranges and we're gonna scoop out the meat into a bowl. And then we're gonna add everything to a blender with some vegan sweetened condensed milk, a splash of vanilla and blend until smooth, freeze overnight and then scoop back into our orange shells because we're zero waste life here. My dad went to medical school in India and he he was fortunate enough to do his residency in Manhattan. And, um, you know, obviously I wasn't around in the 70s, but from what I know, there was a demand for physicians. And so he came here as a resident, which then opened up a whole kind of bucket of opportunities for my parents. My dad actually spent a year here on his own as a bachelor. Um, I think he came with one other older brother who actually was um, a civil engineer. My uncle used to be... Um, the chief civil engineer of the MTA for many, many years until okay, he's, wow. he's re retired about five, six years ago. Um, but like very, like very typical New York kind of immigrant story, like smart guys who come over hustling, um, you know, didn't, didn't come with much. My mom and him were arranged back in India because, you know, arranged marriage is the thing. So my mom picked my dad and uh, after meeting him briefly and they they got married in India and then they both came over here and lived, you know, in a, I think it was a studio apartment in Greenwich Village. The interesting part of kind of their migration here is that aside from the whole new environment and life and the era that they came in is the sort of quality of lifestyle um, in India. We generally have big families who live under one roof. And even if you, you know, get married, you will bring your spouse um, to that home and kind of everyone lives together. So you're leaving that huge family behind and you're coming here and you're essentially alone and you have no idea what's going on here. Um, the whole concept of like, you know, seeing like Italian food and mm -hmm. stuff, it was just very bizarre. Uh, marinara sauce, like red sauce. When they first saw that here, they were freaked out because they were like, what is that? They're like, we've never seen anything so red, but they loved pizza. And so it's it's it was a huge adjustment. And it that those sort of like hardworking values, which I think most immigrant families probably have the same story, that gets passed down to us as the children. And all we see are our parents working very hard day and night, whether it's like my dad, 
sleeping in the hospital for three to four days a week because he used to be the chief of surgery at the time or he would work all of the holidays that, um, you know, he basically would help the other guys out if they're celebrating Thanksgiving or something. You know, it didn't, didn't mean much to us. And then my mom would uh, be taking care of three kids at home with, you know, there's no help, there's no anything. And so she never got the opportunity to go out there and get a job. And growing up and seeing that, it's, um, you almost, it's like, I don't think I've ever had a lazy day in my life. A bottle of red, a bottle of whites. It all depends upon your appetite. I'll meet you anytime you want in our Italian restaurant. How did they go about creating a home for you? And why Staten Island? And what were they seeking there? I believe my dad got a really good opportunity at Staten Island University Hospital um, as the chief of surgery. And at the time, Staten Island was not as populated as it is now. So it was one of the few areas in New York City that was still part of New York City, but you can actually get land and space and a house and have a little bit more of a residential suburban upbringing. And that's what my parents wanted. My dad um, is very much into architecture. So he worked with, he designed the house completely. He worked with the builder to build it. They like handpicked the plot. Like it's very much like built from the ground up. And it was all white brick, all white. So very like clean, clean lines, clean spaces. We had a white, like staircase at the entrance with two huge white lions. Aha, uh -huh. and, th and those were, your dad installed the lions there? Yeah, so everything, was reason for all, that? all of his, he just, I think it was like a certain like grandeur it mm. added and um, you know, it's, it's testament to kind of the personality of the family. I think we have a lot of large, <laughs> but welcoming personalities. And I think the house sort of reflected that. And my dad was the official photographer and videographer of our family. I was gonna ask you about that. So yeah. having three daughters, we have posed at on every angle of that house um, in some ridiculous way. And it was very important for your father to capture all of this. The technology and gadgety part of it, he's just really into that kind of stuff. But for him, because he wasn't home that often, because he was working so much, this was like his way of like capturing the moments. Yeah. So we just had so much VHS recording of me and my sisters, which now we look back and we're like, oh my God. And when he took these videos of you uh, as a family and the three of you as girls, did you also sit down and watch them as a family and sort of relive the moments or was it just a matter of recording and then putting it on a shelf? Um, no, we would watch them and I think that's, Probably also why I do so much on camera work now and mm -hmm. so much TV work because I'm probably so used to just like watching myself on camera. And I mean, maybe people think it's narcissistic, but I think it's, I think it's a way of learning to keep watching myself on camera and then be like, oh, I could do this better or that. So I think when you start at a very young age, you just become that much more comfortable with it. So I don't usually start on the floor of my episodes, but you know, I figured I'd change it up a bit. Pumpkin in the house. Behold this delicious pumpkin pecan chocolate loaf with a delicious sour cream frosting. It is 100% vegan. And how did you Just feel about watching jealous. yourself as a kid on TV, on screen? Did it feel embarrassing to you? Did you want to run out of the room when it was sort of <laughs> you came on? Or I don't did think you like I was it? embarrassed. Yeah, I don't think so. I think... um I, there was, there's so many videos of me attacking my middle sister because she's, she's also a really good singer. So my dad would take videos of her singing and then you would just see a little foot coming into the video and like kicking her. And I was just mad that I wasn't in the video. <laughs> and you know, clear, clearly I'm not singing or doing, I don't, clearly there's no talents there, but I'm just like, why am I not on video? 
Why is dad taking Pooja? It sounds like, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like you were a Clowning pers- around. Per- personality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You were just being on camera. It was a difference. <laughs> Maybe made for more of the reality world of our, our, that was coming that we weren't growing up around. Yeah. Before keeping up with the Kardashians was a thing, it was uh, keeping, keeping up with Priyanka, Priyanka you right. know? Yeah, I don't know. It was just a lot. It was a lot of, um, it would be my dad behind the camera, like pre, and in, in usually in Canada, like pre- like, what are you doing? And I would be like, I was just always like there. <laughs> but, so it would be, it would be a lot of uh, me just like clinging on to my mom. And like, I was very attached. In terms of the attachment to your mother, was she your safe place? Even though I was very, um, you know, there was a lot of personality of mine at home. I was very shy on to other people. And I had very, very big cheeks when I was a baby. Like very chubby as i mentioned so people would have the habit of coming and squeezing oh, my cheeks boy, kids hate that and yeah. i hated like i hated being touched i hated being talked to like i just didn't want to deal with any outside people so i think my way of trying to avoid that would just be like like hanging out with my mom and being like don't touch me like this is my protective shield which like that didn't necessarily work because people still came over but yeah i think it's a sense of comfort Mm -hmm. i spent so much time with her because we were home with her we were always in the kitchen with her so it's just like um i just like that feeling and even now like go home and i'm just like bothering my parents specifically my mom like i'm in the kitchen and i'm like mom mom to this day (laughs) yeah (laughs) and she's like what If you ever came to my house, like everyone jokes, like we have a TV everywhere, like TV, (laughs) built in sound system everywhere. My dad's very much like, uh, you know, he's watching CNN all the time. He needs to be connected at all times. This is CNN. And what did you like to watch on your TV? So I watched a combination of Nickelodeon cartoons, mm-hmm. Cartoon Network, and cooking shows. So I even think, as a young teenager, you did. Yeah, yeah. So I was completely obsessed with Food Network. Now here's what's gonna happen: I got a pizza guy throwing dough all over Staten Island, and a barbecue maniac who sleeps with his spice rubs. Butch Lupinetti from Mount Royal, New Jersey, is one of the nation's top-ranked barbecue pitmasters. Um, I would come home and like put the, you know, the kitchen TV and family room TV on Food Network. Uh, I was very obsessed with watching cooking shows because it was very different than the way it is now. Um, Food Network had a lot of the instructional cooking shows where like an Emeril or Bobby Flay or the, you know, when Martha Stewart had her show, um, they would just be standing there and teaching you how to cook, like making a dish. It was less of the you know, competition shows or things like that. It was very much instructional. It was showing you technique. Um, and I was interested in it because it, I just felt that every show I watched, I was learning something new. Whether I applied it to my own kind of cooking repertoire or not, it didn't matter. It was more just learning something that maybe I didn't see in our own kitchen or just it was an extension of what I saw in my kitchen and applied in a different way. That's a lot of the way I learned about like Western culture and cooking and cuisine because we obviously didn't make like quote-unquote American food Mm -hmm. I mean really what is quote-unquote American food it's yeah yeah, it's a culmination of so many Mm -hmm. cultures so you you had a vegetarian household yeah so we would have been very rare back then just in terms of this it it wasn't in vogue yet right so we yes the we grew up in a primarily vegetarian household my parents were uh, pretty strictly vegetarian, um, but the only reason why we evolved to eating chicken and you know seafood here and there is because there were so many limited options. So my parents wanted us to like at least have some options when we went to school or school trips or anything. Which now everything has changed, but back then it was like okay, well here you go, right? Yeah, so um, it was very difficult in that sense, and also like when kids would be eating like Burger King and stuff, like we were like, oh, we wanna like eat Burger King. Like, what is that? And it still is very difficult on Staten Island because 
because the culture on Staten Island is so, um, it's very traditional. They're mm -hmm. very conservative, as you guys probably know. Mm -hmm. And there is a lot of, uh, there's very little room for change there. So it's a lot of uh, very traditional, you know, Roman Catholic, Italian. Now there's a lot more Eastern European, so Polish and Russian. And um, they're not necessarily going to change their ways and the way they eat. So even, you know, ordering from Italian restaurants or going to a deli, like I'm not going to find vegan cream cheese or vegan oh, cheese yeah, or anything no. like that. Where in, in Manhattan, you can. You right. can. It's much more part of the culture, especially, I mean, Brooklyn, you know, all those hipsters. There's like, there's definitely a vegan culture, but not not in Staten Island. And was there ever, any ever a time when you were eating over someone's house and they serve something that you thought, I just can't eat this. I, I don't want to eat this. What do I do? So I actually never really was able to eat at other people's houses because there was never anything for me. Cause so I, how, how, did, how did that play out? Would you, would you have to ask in advance? What well, are you guys having? The, oh, I can't. Yeah, my or would mom you get would be there and, and find, oh, so, so yes. play that out. So my mom would like, she, the whole like having someone over for, or like having me over for dinner and stuff, it was very difficult because my mom would be like, well, what are they going to, what are you going to eat? Like, what are they going to have for you? They're probably not going to have anything. So, and then how are you going to, what are you going to say on the, so it would usually be like a no. I think the only time that I would be over to eat is like after school, if I went directly to um, a friend's home, then we would have a snack or something. And um, it, that's why I think a lot of times when people would come to my house, they like loved eating at my house because we had so many different kinds of food and like things for them to try. And there would never be like a limitation of someone eating at my house because all my stuff, like all the stuff is vegetarian. So anyone can eat it. Anyone can eat it. Yeah. But the only limitation is spiciness. So like we eat very spicy. So there's actually been jokes amongst my different friends that I've like trained a lot of my friends to like amp up their spice <laughs> Did you really? Yeah, because you get used to coming to like your Indian friend's house and then you're eating, you know, all this spicy food now. Are you still eating TGI Friday's jalapeno poppers from the freezer that are mm, anything but delicious? Please toss those and instead make my barbecue rubbed stuffed jalapeno poppers that are 100% vegan and anything but bland. These are actually pretty spicy, but I pair them with the dipping sauce that's a little bit sweet, so it really balances the flavors. I deep fry these, but you're welcome to air fry them. They're perfectly crisp and delicious. And you liked hosting. You didn't Yeah, mind yeah, I liked hosting, and I think it was like, it was also easier for me to get my parents to say yes to kids coming over the house rather than me going over to other people's homes. Um, like sleepovers was like a no-no, like I don't- You weren't allowed to sleep no, over. No, yeah. Why was that? My mom was not big on sleepovers. So did, was this something that you hated, a, a rule that you hated, or did you sort of thought it made sense to you that you weren't allowed to go? Over? I think it was annoying sometimes yeah. if like other girls are doing, if like the girls are having a slumber party and like I can't go, I'm like, well now I'm a loser. Like now I can't go. There's that and there's also, if you're always home, it's the default, you know already, so you're not discovering. Yeah. And there's also the possibility that you could be embarrassed by your family. I think. I went over a lot of my friends' homes. I just didn't do a lot of sleeping. Okay, over. so you you would visit. Yeah, yeah. I went over like yeah a lot, but just not. It's funny when you say the embarrassing. Mm. The thing about being embarrassed because something that we have in our house, and I think in most Indian households, is you'll have a temple, like a Hindu temple, which is basically like a shrine for our gods and goddesses. And my there's like all these specific. Uh, materials and stuff we'll use for the temple so like we we wash the deities every day so there's a specific towel that my mom will use to like dry them off but she used to keep that towel in the kitchen and my friend washed their hands and they like dried their hands and then I turned around and I was like no like what are you doing don't use that towel and she was like Wait, why? It's like right here. I was like, no, that's God's towel. And then she was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, we just like, we use it for God. Like, don't like, it's, and it's like, it's funny because it's not necessarily, I've never been embarrassed, but it's more that when you translate things to English, it does sound kind of weird. Like it sounds insane. Like if, if I, like if I'm translating something to English, like literally the literal translation is that is God's towel. Like, what are you doing? And to someone who's like not Hindu, they're just like, 
what are you talking about? And then I was like, don't touch it. Like, don't let mom see you do that. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so not like, I guess one would be embarrassed about that. I wasn't embarrassed. I was just more like, how do I explain this? You know, it's just, it's weird to explain mm -hmm. because it's not something that other people are used to. You mentioned that your parents had gone from Greenwich Village to Staten Island, which is it's conservative, it's all those things. Did you feel that you were assimilating and becoming part of that world, or did you always feel sort of on the edge of that world? I don't think we ever assimilated, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't think we, um, I don't think I ever did. I don't think I ever will. I think my, the way I thought about the world and ultimately what I'm doing is very different from what people in Staten Island mm -hmm have done and do did you feel that and sense that as a kid in your neighborhood going around going oh totally out? totally i think uh when i was little school in school it was it was always different because the teachers well first of all when they're taking attendance i knew when they came to a long pause that it was my name oh so yeah. there's that which also makes you feel awkward the as first or last name yeah, first or last name, um, or completely butchering your name, even after you correct them multiple times and having no care to correct the pronunciation of your name. And would the other kids laugh or sort of giggle when this yeah, happened yeah, to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giggle, they would call, I've been called a camel worshiper before, and I'm like, well, camel's not even one of our deities, so if you're going to say one, at least say elephant worshiper, I mean, get it right. Um, I would say particularly for me, because at the age that it happened, 9-11 was a huge... Um, so you were 13, right? Yeah, I so was 12 or 13, yeah. This, Justin, you were looking at a, obviously a very disturbing live shot there. That is the World Trade Center, and we have unconfirmed reports this morning that a plane has crashed into one of the towers of the World Trade Center. The CNN Center right now is just beginning to work on this story, obviously calling our sources and trying to figure out exactly what happened, but clearly something relatively devastating happening this morning there on the south end of the island. Of so I think for 9-11, um, so first of all, like, regardless of what you look like or where you're from, like, if you are in New York, that was one of the most devastating <sighs> occurrences in our life and uh we there were so many weird things that happened during that time my sisters were supposed to go to work that day and they worked at 90 west street uh which was right right next right to the, the twin west. towers yeah i don't know if you remember but that day september 11th was a really nice day it was outside a Tuesday. it was a beautiful yeah day. it was right. really nice and they decided to play hooky and stay home with my mom because it was nice out. And they were just like, eh, let's just stay home. And they went for a park at Wolf's Pond Park. And like, you know, after my mom dropped me to school. And which is like by sheer chance that happened. Uh, but my uncle, who was, I told you was the chief civil engineer for yes. the MTA, was working at the MTA that time and didn't know that my sister didn't go to work. And he was so scared that they were there and was running. Was trying to run towards them instead of running away mm. and that time no one had cell phones and stuff or like you did but it's like no one was using them no, no. like it was just it was just a whole mess but when everyone started getting picked up from school and we went home we saw the smoke by our house because we live on the water which is insane even now when they put the the twin tower beams up we could see that from our house really? yeah mm -hmm. but the sad thing about 9-11 is what happened after that mm -hmm. anyone who looked remotely brown they deemed as a terrorist so i remember distinctly going to the grocery store and people not ringing up our items they were just like no you guys are like you're like terrorists and here your father was a surgeon at staten island university Hospital. yeah it doesn't, it gets worse. So okay. we had this white fence around uh, part of our house and someone vandalized it and wrote um, sand 
uh, with the N-word. Wow. Yeah, which, first of all, you shouldn't call anyone that. And second of all, they're so... uh, This is where, like, when I say they're a little bit narrow-minded and closed-minded, is, like, you can't even tell the difference between different cultures. But also when you see, I mean, going back to the spray, the graffiti on the, on the fence, it may, must make you realize this is, a, you know, again, internet was, was much younger then. Yeah. It, the, it must have underscored for you that people knew where you lived. In other words, it wasn't oh, yeah. random. It's scary. It, it, I, the only word I could use to describe it is like frustration because it's like, it's like we are like why are, we are on your side like yeah. we are new yorkers like you already grow up feeling a certain way that you don't look like these people you don't fit in you eat different food you know we were made fun of our lunches when we brought them into school because they weren't like a you know a bologna sandwich and um it's you know we brought in mango juice and like an indian style sandwich and it's it, in fact you would think that i would or any of us would be like, ew, we don't want to be Indian and like we, we want to get away from this. But I actually sought comfort in coming home and being closer to my culture. And I thought it was a really important part of my life. It's not like I was five and I was like, this is so important. But I was just like, this is... It's a feeling. Yeah, because we also, my parents had the opportunity um, to instill those values in us, but also to take us to India every year, right? So like we kind of saw the source. So for us, it wasn't this faraway imaginary land. Like we knew it. We it was like our second home. So like for us, it was important to us. So the fact that people weren't embracing it was annoying. In fact, like it was like why do you, why are you like being mean about it? And it's also why I cook now in the way I do and why I'm so prominent in the space of cooking and talking about my culture. And it's actually what my cookbook is focused on, which is how my culture has inspired my cooking today, my travels, and like kind of who I am. Um, and I think, I think it's interesting because it could have gone, it could have gone either way. It, I could have been like, I don't want to be associated with this, and I don't want to be Indian and be completely whitewashed. Which some people have taken that route, like some people who are first generation Indian. But I think for me, it just became increasingly important because it's also what set me apart. Like, it's a very unique part of who I am, and it was made us unique on Staten Island. You're describing an experience of being an outsider in, in certain ways where you grew up and, and choosing to stay close to your roots and, and your culture, right? And it sounds like, if I'm correct, that after 9-11, maybe you even felt more drawn to it as a sort of protective way. Is that fair? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. The time at which 9-11 happened for me at that age was, um, it is, as it is, there. it's a turning point at that age, 12, 13, 14, awkward years, you're oh, going yeah. into these different stages, and then on top of that, this horrible, tragic event that then shapes the way uh, kids that age think about you. Which is probably why, um, which probably explains why I have so many more immigrant friends, to be honest. Because, again, just gravitated towards people who maybe were more understanding and had the same values and maybe had the same experience that I did, rather than people who maybe would be closed off to that or would have a formulated assumption and perspective on that. Which I'm not saying all of them did, but, but a lot of them did.
I wanted to sort of now turn it around and ask you about the, the trips that you did take to India, these kind of regular trips that you took as a family there. Now you're going back to your parents' home, right, and where they grew up, and your family there. And I'm wondering, what did going there sort of expose for you about your own upbringing and how different it was? I think going to India was always fun because, you know, you're reunited with your whole family. It's really fun to, like, interact with everyone. But the lives were totally, totally different, you know? Like, they assumed we lived this fancy, lavish life in this house that I described. But um, they, I think, were not privy to how hard we worked, mm -hmm. right? Like, nothing in this country gets served to you. Uh, but in India, it's like, I'm like, oh, you, you know, you have cooks, you have drivers, you have this, you have that. And there is definitely a lack of privacy, I think, there. Uh, one is because the families are big and they're all up in your business all the time. But two, there, there is like the help around all the time. And it's just, it's a completely different, mm -hmm. just from like a day-to-day -day lifestyle. Like that piece, like I have never really liked because... Um, you sometimes, I think at least for me, because I'm not used to it, you can't like fully relax because... You don't know who's going to come, yeah, come in. Yeah, it's just like, you know, everyone's around all the time. And um, I think that piece was very different. But I, I think overall, like I, I do love India. I always have. I think it's, it's really nice. Yes, the family piece, but the food is a huge part of the culture there. I was going to ask you, so to compare sort of eating Indian versus yeah, eating American. Yeah, I mean, going to India was like a huge treat because like you can eat everything, like you can, it, it's just like you never feel limited in that sense. And like eating was like a really fun experience because um, there's so many different ways you can eat. So like street food is huge in huge. Mumbai. Yes. So like one of the first places I always make them stop when I when we land in Mumbai and we always land at like a weird odd time, like two o'clock in the morning, uh, two o'clock in the morning, India time. But you know, here it's like, you know, whatever lunchtime. So I, we go to this, um, late night pao bhaji stand, which is basically, um, I describe it as an Indian vegetarian sloppy Joe. That's kind of mm. what it looks like. Um, but it's a street food and they make it on this big tava, which is like this huge grill or like flat wide, kind of pan on high heat and it's a spicy vegetable mix and they put it on toasted Indian bread uh, with a lot of fresh coriander um, and it's really really good so like I asked them to stop there whenever we land in my mom's area which is uh, Unkli which is like a small town outside of Belgium which is south of Mumbai they live in like a big bungalow and so the whole family lives there so like I basically like my aunties will ask me like well would you want to eat and i like make this whole menu and what was it like for you to watch her interacting with her mother your grandmother yes yeah, so this is a very this is a sore subject because my maternal grandmother actually just passed away i know from, i was going to mention to you that how yeah sorry I am. so no it's okay it's um it's from covid which has been very unfortunate and uh i think you know, my mom was very, very close to her. She was the only daughter. She, my Ai, as we call her, would come to, she's out of the whole family, she's come the most to America because to be with my mom, she stayed here months upon months at a time. Um, but yeah, it was, it was very nice to see their interaction, but it's also a little bit, um, it's also a little bit challenging to see because there was a lot of like difficulty between, you know, what her, what she wanted for her sons versus what she wanted for her, my mom. So sometimes my mom and my I would kind of like get into arguments about that because, yeah. you know, my mom was saying like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter boy or girl, son or daughter, like we need to think of us equally mm -hmm. in equal equal light and you know and just because i'm in america that doesn't mean i should be shut off from things that are happening here or all of that kind of stuff which and, and did your grandmother also feel disappointed that your mother was doing all the work that she was doing and didn't have support here no because i think the mentality there is that like well you you're your husband's home now but 
she never uh, she's seen how mom how hard my mom works because she would come and stay with us months yeah. upon months at a time, which is why she came to be with my mom and to help her. Um, and so she never she she knew that more of the opportunity for us, her grandkids, was in America. Thinking about that, were the, were the transitions as a family or for you and your sisters hard when you came back from these visits to India? Coming back to Staten Island as kids? Yeah, I think um, we would spend a lot of our summer vacations in, in India, so we would spend like two to three months there. And we would come back and like, well, one, no one wants to go to school, so there's that. Um, but... Uh, it was hard to leave the family behind and, you know, we, as it is, grew up speaking Kannada mostly at home, not English. So we kind of had like these slightly Indian accents, which made it very difficult for us in school to be accepted as it is, right? We look a certain way, we, you know, have different type of food, and then now we have like kind of this Indian accent. I think the most extension of India was like my house to be honest like yeah. just being at home and like cooking and eating and being amongst family I remember we would bring suitcases full of food back and like it would always get stopped at TSA uh, <laughs> duty check or whatever mm -hmm. because we'd bring spices all those masalas and stuff like you can't find here so we would bring it back we bring back like pickles and like just all this all the handmade like foods and stuff dry foods um, we would bring back, which was like hilarious because if like, we wouldn't do that now, but literally that the whole dilemma would be, oh, how are we going to get the suitcase through duty? Like, are they going to let us take this through? And like, I'm sure every Indian family dealt with that. Um, but that's kind of like what we used to do. And we used to bring back a lot of like clothing and jewelry. Like I used to wear a lot of different shirts that were Indian, um, that were like Indian in design, but like American style and stuff. So, um, and even now, like I, all my jewelry is pretty much, in, I mean, I have a nose ring. It's very much Indian. Like a lot of the jewelry I wear is Indian. So I think like I always am very, um, it's just part of who I am. My prom dress was made in India. It basically was a, it's, it wasn't a sari, but like it was uh, similar to what we call a channa choli, which is a two-piece dress, but like a blouse and a skirt. But the it looked kind of like an American dress, but it wasn't. So it was uh, it was like a tangerine-ish color, like an orangey color, and it had all like Indian work on it, and it was uh, fitted like slightly fitted skirt, like floor length, and then the top. Um, like covered my you know stomach but it was like a fitted blouse and it was off the shoulder with usually what we would wear is a dupatta which is the the fabric that you put around your neck or shoulder yeah. but in this style I had it attached to the blouse so it just sort of fell in the back and did you go with a, a guy from high school no so I went with um so this is where I was there was this other friend who apparently was gonna ask me but I didn't know he was gonna ask me and my sister ended up uh, setting me up with one of her boyfriend's friends to take me, some older guy I who see. didn't okay. go to my high school. Right. First of all, if it was up to me, I wouldn't even care about this date business because mm -hmm. I'm just like, why can't we just go to prom? Just go, and just yeah. be normal. Right. Um, but we had to like have dates and I didn't want to ask anyone and I didn't know who was going to ask me. So th that's why she set that up because she was like, well, we don't want you to be dateless. So let's like have a plan B in action. So that's like, that's why she set it up with her boyfriend's friend, which like kind of helped my, that helped me with my like, I'm too shy and I don't want to deal with it. So I'm like, okay, good. Let's just like do that. So we can like, we can just have it set up and I don't need to like deal with anything. Right. <laughs> we were obsessed with Disney too. Like we grew up with Disney, but you just know that that stuff's not real. Right. It's like, it's not real. And like, no one also looks like that, but we still love Disney because it's fun. And it's uh -huh. like, it takes you into a different world. It's just like, I'm more of a realist. I've never been a romantic, like fairy tale living person. So I'm just kind of like, okay, this is a reality of the situation. We're going to Chelsea Pierce, So I'm wearing a nice dress. <laughs> Welcome back. It is time now for Make Ahead Monday, and this week we are going meatless. Here to show us some delicious recipes using cauliflower is vegan chef Priyanka Nike. Over to you, Priyanka. We're going to make 
a turmeric fennel seed whole roasted cauliflower and this is what's going to be the basis for all three of our dishes i have a cauliflower marinated here already and we have our marinade here you prepped. worked in the business this world and have worked at bloomberg and now twitter so you have this day life that's a kind of your clark kent <laughs> role right uh, then you have the superman part of you which is uh, you also are a self-taught indian vegan cook I was going to ask you about the process of going from being Priyanka to becoming a chef Priyanka, sort of what that process was. So I, uh, I was, have always been a self-proclaimed chef Priyanka. I started my blog uh, over 10 years ago now. You know, I would go out to eat in Manhattan and I, um, New York, you know, one of the best cities in the world, most diverse from you know, cultural standpoint, food standpoint. It's and a foodie town, yeah. Yeah, but granted things have changed a lot mm -hmm. for, since 10 years now, mm -hmm. but I'd go out to eat and I'd tell the host or, you know, waiter, like, hey, you know, I'm vegetarian, like, what are your options for me? And they'd be like, oh, you know, well, we have salads or a side dish. And I'm like, what the hell? Why would I eat a salad? Like, I've never eaten a salad as a meal before. Like, right. ew. What am I, a rabbit? And then I was like, why would I eat a side dish? Like, why would I come to a restaurant and eat a side dish? Like, who does that? And so it just kind of occurred to me, like, well, perhaps the Western world is just not privy to all the cool things that we could be doing with food. Like, I grew up eating vegetarian and many a times vegan. And there, like, there was an endless amount of dishes that we were able to make. Like, it just doesn't make any sense to me why this is so limited. So that's what gave me the idea to start my blog. I think it's just kind of like, again, it goes back to the being open-minded, changing the perspective and embracing something that is ultimately good for you and good for the environment. And that's also what I want to extend in my cookbook. I'm very animated and I want that to come through in the book and for people to open it and be like, oh my God, this looks, this looks so fun. This looks so cool. Like this looks so delicious. Like I want to be a part of this. I want to make this. I end every interview, Priyanka, by asking every guest the same question, which is, I go to the iconic New York poet, Walt Whitman. He writes this, and I want to read it to you and then ask you the final question. Okay. okay. I bequeath myself to the dirt to grow from the grass I love. If you want me again, look for me under your boot soles. You will hardly know who I am or what I mean, but I shall be good health to you nevertheless and filter and fiber your blood. Failing to fetch me at first, keep encouraged. Missing me one place, search another. I stop somewhere waiting for you. And reading this passage has always made me think about kind of our place in the universe and where we can find those that we have lost or, look, or are looking for. 50, 100, 200 years from now, um, hopefully more than 50 years since you're so young, 100 years, 200 years from now, if someone in your family or someone who discovers Chef Rianca's recipes wants to know you, wants to follow in your footsteps, wants to commune with your spirit, where should they go in New York? Ooh, this is a hard question. Because my first instinct or, or in terms of response was, well, they should go to my house. But I don't know who would be living there then. Um, it sounds like a pretty extraordinary place to have grown up, despite all of the challenges and real hurt too. Like you mentioned 9-11, but still that sanctuary that your parents built is someplace that, that sounds like it just continues to feed you and feed you and feed you, literally and... Yeah. yeah, I think that's right. I think um, it is definitely unique and has like a very special place. I think for all of us, for me and my sisters, as much as we hate on Staten Island, it's like it is our home. I, I can make fun of Staten Island, you know, all I want. But like if someone else does who's not from there, I'm like, excuse me. Like, what do you know? But um, yeah, I think it, it is a very special place. And I also think like no one is ever too too like mighty or big to to be like better than where they're from i think it's one of the most beautiful boroughs of new york city like there's so many beautiful parts of it i, I really do wish that it could change a little bit more from a mindset standpoint and people standpoint maybe it will but um i'll never be you know above it 
and I think that it is the it is the place that um, has shaped who I am, and I almost thank it because I think it's pushed me to be that much more open-minded and to see all points of view across all different facets of life. And it pushed me to travel so much. That's why I've traveled to nearly 40 countries because I'm like, there has, like, I need to see all these other things to understand people because people can't just be this way. And um, I almost, it's, so it's almost like to me, I'm like, okay, thank you because you, because of the way you were Staten Island, you pushed me to be the way I am today. Thank you for listening to Your Hometown, where the local is the epic. This is a Kevin Burke production. Visit yourhometown.org to subscribe to the podcast and our various social media channels. And wherever you're listening, please drop us a review. Every star helps. For information on live events that we do around the show, visit our New York City series page on the Museum of the City of New York's website at mcny.org slash yourhometown hyphen podcast. Now let me thank the team that works with me on Your Hometown, beginning with our executive producer, Robert Krowich, our editor and sound designer, Otis Streeter, our composer and performer, Sterling Steffen, and our researchers, Shaquille Khan and Jamaris Perez. I also want to thank Tunshere Longay, Nick Gregg, and Charlotte Yu for the vivid illustrations that have given our show another dimension. Our social media manager is Michaela Watkins, and our website and branding design is by Tama Creative. A special thanks to our partners this season, the Museum of the City of New York, our lead funder, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, and all our financial supporters for their commitment to this series. It's because of them that we're able to bring this series to you. Thanks so much for taking this ride with me. And remember, everyone's from someplace, and everywhere is somewhere.